You're listening to Scattered by Anchored Baptist Church, where we are working to reflect the diversity of Romanus as we gather to hear good news and as we scatter to share it. We pray a Merry Christmas made bright by Christmas cheer with peace and hope and gladness and all they may hold dear. That's the kind of mood we see on cards and displays around this time of year, right? We're celebrating Advent. Others are celebrating what had come to be known as the silly season. It comes around every year. And one thing I think most people would agree on is that it should be a season of hope. How ironic then that January is the month where most people dip into hopelessness. We all know it and statistics tell the same story. So the question we need to ask this morning is, what will it take for you and I to be filled with a hope that lasts? Where do we find a hope that is deeper than our doubts, higher than any political instability, and wider than any situation we will ever face? What will it take? Let's read our passage for this morning one more time from Romans 15. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorified the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another, as Christ has welcomed you, for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised, to show God's truthfulness, in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs, and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. We're going to have to do a little bit of digging to get to the full answer to our question. So put on your seatbelts. As Paul comes to the end of his letter, he wants to leave the Romans with something that they can take away. He's already described to them how God is righteous or right, and how we are not. He's taken great lengths to explain how God has made us right with him, through Jesus and in Jesus, by faith alone, faith that is worked out in us by the Holy Spirit. This led to a section where Paul unfolded what it looks like in the life of a believer. And now what we have in our passage is a good word of encouragement, a kind of a benediction, something that we'll be able to take away from. 
And so let's begin by looking at the end of verse 4. For everything that was written long ago was written for our learning, so that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we may have hope. So the result or the product is hope. We'll look at exactly what this hope is in a little while. But what's the recipe? What builds hope in us? We see two things in our text. Endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures. Let's look at the first one. Paul has already told us earlier in the book of Romans that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. What do you think of when you think of the word endurance? A running race, perhaps? I'm reminded of a ship that happened to be named Endurance. 28 men set sail in August 1914 heading for an expedition to the Antarctic. By January, the ship was caught in ice. They camped out for nearly a full year on the ice with what supplies they had, with whatever seals and penguins they could get hold of, and even had to resort to eating some of the sled dogs that they had brought with them. The ship was eventually crushed by ice and sank. In two small lifeboats, Those men navigated what are still some of the most dangerous seas in the world, sometimes for days on end, exerting every muscle, struggling against the waves without a wink of sleep, knowing that to give in for a few minutes would be certain death, leaving some of the crew nearly dead on a small island. One boat went on to try and find help at another island. Once they reached the shore, in their exhausted state. They had to climb a series of mountain ranges that had never been crossed before and have only been crossed since with the help of modern equipment. They finally reached help and rescued the rest of the crew. This was more than two years after first setting out. And of the 28 men that set sail, 28 reached safety. Question, is that how you imagine your Christian life? Never giving in for a moment to despair or compromise, always pressing forward with your eyes fixed on the hope of heaven. Well then, what about the times when you feel like you have no strength left? When your sails have all been torn and your sinking hopes are few, as we sang this morning? What about the times when your relationship with your family or friends or colleagues seems in tatters? What about when you don't know when your next money is going to come from? What about when you experience sickness, death, loneliness, pain? The list goes on. Or what about if you're experiencing a dry spell, when it feels like God is silent? And on top of that, Perhaps you have some twinges of guilt, knowing that you should be enduring. Brothers and sisters, Paul has some news for us. 
verses 5 and 6. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus. First of all, there's an unspoken assumption that it will be hard. There are trials in this life. We need not be taken by surprise when we aren't carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease, as one hymn writer put it. We aren't promised that everything will go in the way that we might want it to go, but we are promised something. Notice the title of God that Paul uses, the God of endurance and encouragement. There will be times when we are called to make choices in our lives. But the fact is that it's not our strength that carries us through at the end of the day. Brothers and sisters, what we need is not so much to endure as to be endured. God endures us in Christ. I understand that might sound a bit hollow in the middle of a dark time. I'm not trying to make light of what you're going through right now. God knows what you're going through. But think of it this way. Imagine coming to the end of your Christian walk after 20, 40, 60 years. Can you look back and say, wow, just look at all of my choices that led to where I am now. Not likely. If making it to the end was due to the fact that we made sure that we did not fall, that we determinedly followed the straight and narrow road, would we make it? That would be salvation by works of the law. The gospel tells us that when God has begun a good work in us, he will complete it. So God endures us, but he also encourages us. He does that through the scriptures. The Bible is his revelation to us, and through it, he points us to hope. We'll look at that in detail in a little while. But notice something else that God does, verses 5 and 6. He grants us unity or harmony. This hope that we've been given is a gift that is not only personal and individual. It's a gift that binds God's people together in Jesus. If we have nothing else in common as brothers and sisters in Christ, we have this hope. And being united in this hope, God's people can return praise to him with one voice. That one voice contains many voices, many different voices, but all in tune to the same theme, hope in Christ. Isn't that beautiful? Then we have to ask, what does this harmony look like in practice? Glance down at verse 7. Therefore, Paul says, or in other words, because of this unity that God has forged, welcome one another. Welcome one another. That's Paul's instruction. And it's simple, right? And yet, there's someone I enjoy listening to, he describes it this way. 
We often go to church and we say hi to one another. That's a good thing. But if we only say hi to one another, what's the problem with that? The problem is in the second half of verse 7. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. The problem is that Christ didn't just say hi to us. Christ welcomed us. What does that mean? Well, the word that's used here is actually a funny word. It's sometimes used in the Bible to describe taking in food. Or it can mean taking someone by the hand and leading them aside, like Peter did when he rebuked the Lord Jesus. It's also what Paul told Philemon to do, to welcome his slave Onesimus back in the same way that he would have welcomed Paul. This word also carries the picture of a husband welcoming his bride into his home. I'm sure you get the idea. This is intimate fellowship. This is friendship that demands stepping out of one's comfort zone. These are risky relationships in the sense that you're not going to get out what you put in, at least not in the same way. How can anyone expect this of us? That's not a very good question. The first question is, how could Jesus have done this for me? Jesus Christ gave up the presence of his Father. He took on the form of a human, not just a human, but a bondservant. And finally, he gave his own life on a criminal's cross to welcome sinners like you, like me. So then the question becomes, if Christ died to welcome you into his fellowship, why would you not do the same for your brother and sister, no matter how different he or she seems from you? Or if Christ died to welcome your brother or sister into his friendship and fellowship, why wouldn't you do the same for that person? No matter how weak his or her faith is, in Romans chapter 4, Paul gave some examples of Christians who had some growing to do in their faith and in their understanding. We are to welcome that person because Christ welcomed him and you. Also, Christ didn't choose us based on our background, our achievements, our culture, our status, our family. So why would we choose people based on those things? The Roman church, if you look at it, had Jews, it had Gentiles. It had slaves, it had slave owners. How much glory would it bring to God if all of those different kinds of people were praising him with one heart, one mouth? How great will God be seen if at Anchored it could be said that we welcome one another? Now let's talk about something we just glanced over earlier. How do the scriptures encourage us? How do they bring us hope? If you have a look at verses 8 and 9, here's how. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the Jews in God's truthfulness, in order to confirm the promises given to Abraham and his children. 
and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. God made some promises to Abraham. Specifically, he promised a redeemer who would make right everything that Adam broke. And so God showed that he is faithful in sending Jesus Christ. Jesus came and lived the life of a servant among the Jews. He was the fulfillment of all of those promises. But in verse 9, we see a twist in the story. God had a bigger plan. That bigger plan included you and me. Gentiles. Outsiders. That plan was for Jewish people and non-Jewish people to bring glory to God in that awesome unity that we just saw. Run your eye down the Old Testament passages that Paul quotes for us. As it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. Now note how this last quotation is a little bit different. Listen carefully to what it says. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. But what exactly is this hope? We use the word hope in a variety of different ways, and Paul does too. So for instance, in the same chapter, a little bit later, he says, For I hope to see you on my journey. Even in a different sense, most of the time we use the word hope, and Paul uses the word hope. He's speaking about something that we are expecting, even if that something is certain. So for instance, we talk about the hope of heaven. But there's something going, something different going on here. You see, something strange happened when Jesus Christ entered our world as a human. Before, all hope was looking forward to something. And still, to some extent, our hope looks forward. But now, we have a person who is our hope. And that's how the scriptures encourage us. Like the passage from Isaiah that we read this morning. Scripture turns our eyes to the one who is hope. The Old Testament pointed forward to him. The New Testament proclaims that he has come. Any other hope that we have for a future in God's blessing, all of that hope finds its root in the hope that we have in the person and work of Jesus. Finally, we come to Paul's prayer in verse 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let that sink in for a minute. Isn't that beautiful? This was the verse that someone sent me when Ben was in hospital and all of that going on. The first thing we see is another wonderful title that Paul uses for God. 
the God of hope. That is, he is the God who gives hope to unworthy sinners like us. Paul prays that this God will pour into the believers in Rome joy and peace as they believe. And the same can be true for us today. But if we said that Jesus is our hope, where is he in this last verse? This believing that we talk about, or faith, actually points back to the previous verse. In him will the Gentiles hope. That's where he is. Just like he is our hope, Jesus is our faith. That is, he is the object of our believing. Now when the God of hope fills us with joy and peace in Christ, what happens? A little bit of hope? Paul says that we may abound, or in other words, overflow with hope. The power of the Spirit of the God of hope brings abundance of hope in Christ. Or to put it in another way, here's our big idea for this morning. Jesus is your completed hope from God who endures and encourages you and by the Spirit who overflows you. Until next time, know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit is with you all.